Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Uh, welcome to episode number one of the Tiny DevOps podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall, your host. And today I have uh, my good friend, Patrick Honnett, who is going to be talking to us about infrastructure. Um, Patrick, why don't you start by introducing yourself a little bit? Um, tell us what you do professionally, what you do for fun maybe, sure. and why do you know anything about uh, infrastructure? <laughs> sure. All right. I'm Patrick Conant. Uh, I, uh, I'm an independent contractor. Most of my work comes from uh, one of the largest uh, IT providers in the world. Um, and uh, um, my day-to-day -day varies between, uh, um, you know, standing up and making look professional, a, uh, um, a very expensive and uh, um, large delivery uh, for the company I work for to um, holding the customer's hand sometimes weeks or months into their operation, uh, showing them how to get the best value out of, uh, we're the converged sol solutions group. Um, so we pack up a lot of uh, storage compute, compute being virtualization in most instances, but occasionally uh, application and fabric into a single package um, that the, uh, usually is, is essentially co-located in my customer's environment. Um, they, they, these are large organizations that, uh, um, that have their own IT staff and, and management. Um, and our, our package is kind of all together and they, and they don't manage it the way they manage the rest of their infrastructure. That it's done to our standards and practices and most, upgrades our uh, professional services engagement. Um, so uh, so it's very, like, like my role is very infrastructure-y and uh, the teams I work with in these companies are, you know, from, from their architects to their engineers to their uh, operations. Um, and I see lots of, lots of misses uh, in these silos. Maybe you can give me an example of, of a miss that you, you've, uh, you've seen. So uh, big organizations uh, probably have in the last two years a, a much more bigger and pronounced cybersecurity uh, um, organization than they did before. Cybersecurity was probably distributed among, you know, operations, engineering, architecture, and, and now there's a separate group doing it, maybe two separate groups, uh, red team and blue team sort of uh, organization. Um, and like, like this can just cause chaos as opposed to like, like, like you imagine cybersecurity being implemented. Okay. We have somebody who, who goes through and, and does our internal audits. Uh, we, we often have, uh, um, policies and procedures that, uh, you know, are just not like. Like we can't test them until it's in production and, and who can change which passwords and whether we make a new account or share a password for these bottom level infrastructure uh, um, roles, you know, the bare metal questions uh, becomes a very tough challenge that, that really requires, uh, you know, a, a lot of collaboration and a, uh, 
um, and a and an organization wide, you know, at least set of goals and plan. But let's uh, make that really concrete. What, what, uh, like, so, so when you're talking about uh, low-level infrastructure stuff, you're talking about like the, the passwords to a router or something like that. So yeah, so our so so my product is bare metal switches that are not managed in the organization's uh, switch infrastructure. Okay. Like, like we're a separate set of switches. We, we are we're an engineered solution. So our up our, our upgrades happen lockstep with our our hypervisors our application servers our storage and our switches um so but uh ipmi is is really the is probably the uh and, and then um, find that for those who don't know ipmi elephant in the room uh <laughs> baseboard management uh yeah. so a standard from the 90s when we thought we knew how we would want to manage things um that really hasn't stepped forward much um, there are places in the spec that say that you must allow logins with no password in your implementation. Um, even if your organization, like your organization can say, we don't do that. But the IPMI spec from the 90s says that your implementation has to let it happen. All right. Um, so, 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 uh, so back a little bit here and get a big picture of, of what we're talking about. Um, so you see that uh, these, these companies that you work with, uh, have mm -hmm. started doing these DevOps transformations or whatever, and and they kind of just have th th these details have just gotten lost. Is, is that is that the, a fair way to look well, at it? Well, they yeah the, the the expectation in the DevOps transformation was you know uh, that uh, that the lowest level would be abstracted away, and this so. is tough technical work with uh, with the biggest implications. Like like obviously. Uh, Obviously, somebody who compromises bare metal has has done as much as they can do. The only thing that stands between them and their uh, and and everything in your universe is encryption. Yeah. Um, and and very often, like we have the bare metal do the decryption. Like 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 they may not have the keys, but they can just ask the function to do the work. The the pipe dream, the uh, the ideal, the hope for level of. Uh, we're going, we're going to automate as much as we can. And I think, I think the flip side of that, like the, the boogeyman under the covers is we, we won't have to worry about, you know, that dirty, you know, bare metal, slow to implement, hard to troubleshoot. Is it a software hardware problem? All these things that at kind of the bottom of all our stacks, um, they're going to go away. Like we're going to push code as infrastructure and the code isn't going to be dependent on hardware. And, oh. and, and fundamentally it's not like it can move to new hardware, but that, that doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, low level practices that we've really got to, uh, uh, like it's got to be organized with the same, uh, with the same care and emphasis that our highest level abstracts do. So I think I see a blind spot frequently in, in DevOps circles that, that might be a s similar thing to what you're talking about, but a different application. And that mm -hmm. is that we like to focus on the things that are easy to automate and things that are right. not easy to automate. We kind of just like, yeah, we won't we deal with that. And, you know, a, a, a simple, right. obvious example that everybody thinks of is, is UI testing. You know, UI right. testing, it's automatable these days to a degree, 
but it's, right. it's messy and it's confusing. So we just kind of write the unit tests and leave the, the UI tests alone. Or like, it, it'll take care of itself. It sounds like maybe you're saying we have the same problem when it comes to this low level infrastructure. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's, uh, I, I think that's the downside to every, you know, every wave of innovation that comes through, like, like the, the problems that it solves get solved and we're like, yay. But on the flip side, all the things that were that, that it couldn't address are still here, you know, and you know, every, everybody and I, everybody in technology, you know, uh, likes to think that we're not still solving, you know, the problems from assembly and COBOL, but you know, <laughs> yeah, some, right, right. some days we literally are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so, so, uh, once again, let me paint this picture. So, so we have this, a, a team that is bought that they they drank the DevOps Kool-Aid, right. and and then they threw the the infrastructure baby out with the bathwater, and their their server their 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 disk arrays and their switches are rotting with insecure passwords and, and who knows what other other kind of crap. Have I, you I, seen I, a company that didn't do this that has done it properly? Have you seen an example where this done, been done well? So, um, unfortunately. Uh, like, like nobody calls me for the success stories, <laughs> okay. you know, like I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm sure if you're that, listening and you've done this right. Please call. We want to hear about it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, like I just have the, you know, I, I have the, the, the malaria, uh, outbreak viewpoint of the world. Like, like, like when I come into work, we have something to fix. Um, that's so, true. People, uh, people, yeah, people don't call me when, when things are working well either. They're, they're right. usually more organizational problems, but it's the same thing. Right. Um, so what can we do? But, uh, is, is, is it hopeless or, or do, we have, uh, do we have tools we can use to address this problem? I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's a human being problem. It's a, it's a social problem. Like we just have to remember that there are humans on the other side of all these things. Like we... Like, like we get very excited about automation and the great thing about automation is you can abuse it and it doesn't complain. But you know, somebody racked and stacked all your equipment. Somebody laid out your, the, the bottom of your network plant. You may have a just completely uh, agile fabric where you can push a button and the whole network can move across uh, you know, equipment, data centers, uh, cloud providers. Uh, but, you know, somewhere, somebody is is doing that work. And if we don't forget them, maybe we can, you know, pick up the phone and ask them. And don't get me wrong, if you're in Amazon, you're not going to, you're not going to call and talk to the guy who racks and stacks your equipment. But, uh, but all those considerations, all that, that, Low-level minutia, power consumption, uh, you know, weight. Uh, like, like somebody very technical and savvy needs to be working on these problems, and it can't just, you know, it, it, it can't just have the outsourcing hand wave applied to it and then be like, this is terrible that none of our stuff works. Like, like those guys are awful. Well, I mean, the devil is in the details. So, so let's say I come to you, I, I'm, I'm, say, a middle manager at a, at a, at a 50-person company, and we're mm -hmm. migrating, we're doing a DevOps transformation, we're planning it for the next, say, year. And I ask mm -hmm. you, Patrick, 
what can I do to make sure that in, in one year, two years, five years, this isn't biting me in the butt? Do I, do I just need to, do I need to hire you to come into my, to my company and, <laughs> and, and help me out? Or what, what can I do? Like, like, it's just a matter of knowing whose responsibility is, as far as I know, like, like, you know, when we have good people uh, working on tough problems, we get, we get kind of the best results we can hope for. Um, but uh, yeah, like, like knowing who that person is, who. So assign, so assign ownership to the server rack and to the switches and, and right. make sure somebody has the job and the, a, a, a list somewhere of, do exactly exactly because they're not uh they're not impossible tasks they're just unpleasant like you have to go tell the devops team like like we're going to use half our equipment while we work on the other half and, and somebody says well like like that can never happen we're in an interesting space now like 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 never doesn't seem like the right roadmap um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so it also sounds like there's some parallels here to to um, another topic that uh, gets a lot of attention. And that's just uh, technical debt as it applies to the code. And you know this idea yes. that you write code and it, it's not done until it's deleted. It sounds like you're saying <laughs> the same thing that this right. your server rack isn't done until it's unplugged and thrown in the dumpster, and you need to maintain it. You can't just plug it in and walk away. Right. Right. Um, and. Uh, uh, Again, just like 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 a good a good good sysadmin, a good infrastructure person, um, even even a good network person in the days of you know software defined networking, where we think of it as more of a configuration than a body. Like those people are are worth their weight when uh, when it's impacting your organization. It's it it's, it's very funny how. Like if you walk in on a on a happy production Wednesday and say these six things really need to happen in your organization, like you know eyes raise and you no, know, like the last time we tried that it was bad. If I walk in in the middle of an outage and I say I need to six, fix these six things, like somebody will be walking up to me with whatever I need to get them so that we can move on, and we just need like. Uh, you know, and and it's the same six things. I'm not. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, b before the conversation today, we we talked briefly about this, and and you, uh, you know, you just expressed the concern that you know, DevOps kind of ignores this whole area of, of infrastructure, and and I think I think you're right. Uh, I mean, that's not to say that there's not any teams that do it. I'm sure there are some that right. do a good job. Right. Um, but I mean, when, when I think about DevOps, uh, you know, I'm not thinking about uh, firmwares on my switches or, or their uh, passwords <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, but yeah, that, that obviously needs to happen. Now, of course, there are teams that more or less outsource all that. They're using Azure or AWS or something, and, and they literally don't manage that. But there are many teams that do. Uh, right. and, and, and there's many teams that have a hybrid approach of some sort, and you just need right. to to pay attention to these so, things, right? Right, right. So, so uh, does that fundamentally work? Um, can you uh, can you basically have a contract with a cloud provider that lets them do everything except, 
you know, your Python code? Uh, well, I mean, to, 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 an, to an extent. Uh, and, okay. And, and, and of course, there's, there's, uh, there are drawbacks. Um, I mean, certainly. Vendor I mean, lock in would be an obvious one. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, the, on what you're building, of course, right? So, I mean, I, I definitely work with, uh, with people, with companies that have completely outsourced that stuff and they're just making API calls to, to Twilio or to, uh, to S3 or whatever it is. And, you know, the, the, the app, as far as it's concerned, is essentially a Docker container and that could literally move anywhere. Um, so in that sense, yes, there are some companies that do that, uh, but uh, I, I think uh, there are many other, I mean, I, just a few years ago, I was working for a manufacturing company uh, here mm -hmm. in the Netherlands that uh, we did use uh, AWS, but we also had our own uh, infrastructure in, in the building. So, you know, it was, a, it was a combination of those two. And if either one of those went down, we would be in trouble. Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah, uh, I see that all the time. So, uh were they, were they fundamentally redundant? Um, did you have more capacity uh, in either location than you needed to, to run your operation? It, not per se. Uh, I mean, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was that they were doing different things. So, so our ERP system was in-house and our, our web front end was on, on AWS, that sort of thing. So they were different nice. functions in different places. Yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so a, a lot of the hybrid, cloud implementations I run into are like, this is the first time we've ever considered that we might have redundancy at a, you know, application level. And this is amazing. And I was like, you know, and it's, I don't think the cloud is what solved your problem. I, I, I think that the fact that you never thought about application level redundancy was, <laughs> was what you missed. And uh, um, elasticity in the cloud really huge for the for feast or famine business models well yeah it, um, it, it, it it's helpful for certain like you said business models um it's great right. for startups where the cost is so so low that uh you, you might as well pay 15 times the price for somebody's small sliver of a server somewhere else than a, a, a fifth or a smaller portion of a whole server in your in your uh in your rack right right um, right and then yeah like you said the, the ability to scale up or down Elastically is is uh, beneficial for certain business models. Um, yeah. So the the next place that I really intersect with DevOps. So I we've known each other a long time. I have a deep experience in system administration. Um, you know the ops side of DevOps, and I've been to uh, and I've had uh, four or five uh, DevOps interviews, and they all went like train wrecks. Like fundamentally. I was talking to a developer um, and we just were not talking the same language. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, um, we worked together before and fundamentally in, in like what you were looking for was a DevOps role. You know, we were, we were supporting a service broadly. And I always, uh, I always imagined like, uh, because it gets talked about fairly often, I always imagined like I would be a shoe in for some of these, uh, lower level DevOps roles. And then I could spend some time, you know, learning uh, the, whatever the programming language and, uh, you know, kind of practices were. No, like, like, like we walk in or a, a technical interview ensues and we're like, we don't find any common ground. You know, what, what the person interviewing me thinks is fundamental. Like I, I'm, 
I'm slow or rusty on. What I think is, you know, you know, the thing, the things that I could give quick core meaningful answers on, like, like, like they don't consider part of their day-to-day concerns. Um, And like I said, like I have more of an infrastructure role, so that's understandable, but it's also frustrating to me because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of these roles, like I consider to be well below my, you know, pay grade or skill set even though like i you know um i've probably written less than a thousand lines of of shell that ended up in a file somewhere and not on a command line yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think i think there's uh i think you're you're touching on a, a really valid point um when i see devops or site reliability engineering roles, they're usually looking for either developers who know some amount of infrastructure or Mm -hmm. infrastructure people who uh, want to become developers or or something, you know, that they're really looking for a hybrid skill set there. And that, that, and and it, I mean, so I guess there's two sides to that coin. On the one hand, it it makes sense in a way that we want uh, infrastructure people who can, A, interact as developers with the developers and understand their needs and their concerns because they're supposed to be serving the developers sure. and B can maybe implement autom- automation. Uh, but the flip side of that is that maybe, I mean, the whole, the whole topic of our conversation here is we're kind of throwing out half of the, half of the, the ecosystem with that. Right. We're, throw, we're, we're discarding the people like, like you who have, excellent uh, operational or, and, and infrastructure skills, but maybe don't have the, the devs uh, skills or they're not as sharp. Uh, and as a result, we're not hiring people who have your skills. <laughs> it's not just that we're not <laughs> right. hiring you, it's that we don't have your skills on our team now. <laughs> right, right. In, in an interview, it came up like, uh, like how much production code do you think you have out there? And I was like, very little, but there might be some really large organizations still depending on some one-liners that I've written. That I mean, th- that's now load-bearing. That that's what grabs something from one side and puts it where the other side can can have it, you know. And uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't until the first time somebody called me five years later about something I composed in 35 minutes with, with a, you know, with about 200 iterations at a command line. And I was like, I have no earthly idea what this says. <laughs> what was it we were trying to do? <laughs> you know, and, and these are, you know, and generally it's, you know, some bash and, uh, and a lot of basic Unix utilities grab Bach said, um, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, th- I think we're in agreement on, on this. Um, <laughs> I was looking for yeah. a fight today. I don't think it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we can, but I, I think we, I think we largely agree on the uh, on the process. That's how we came to work together. Yeah, yeah. You, you were like, I could spend more of my time developing if I if I hired a sysadmin instead of another developer. Right. Um, yeah. And then the so for, for the listeners who are wondering, Patrick and I did work together briefly what was it eight years ago i don't remember it's been a while it's, it's uh, a long time ago yeah but we did work together for a, for a while at a, at a previous company in a different lifetime yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and I'd never heard the term site reliability engineer uh, when we started that, but that was very much how I pictured my role at the time, even though I didn't have a name to put to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, back to the human problem. Um, I often get like asked what I know about Docker, Kubernetes, containers. I'm like, I'm, so if you tell somebody it's a process with, a, with its own IP stack and that's fundamentally what it is and how it's managed, like they're not impressed. Um, but as a sysadmin, like that's what it is to me. Like that's how I figure out where the logs are and how to dissect the problems with it. Um, and, uh, you know, a good container, um, you know, there's not much to look at. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, like, like that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't start great conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Completely different set of uh, assumptions going into that into that question, right? Right, uh, right. Whether right. you look at it from the application side or from the, the system side, right. very different uh, view of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. What's your background in containers? Well, the first time I intruded into a system that I couldn't get to start was probably, I don't know, twenty years ago. Well, I, you know, to the person I'm talking to, that has nothing to do with, yeah. you know, the Docker infrastructure, and and I'm like, when we work on something broken, we're working on some pretty small pieces and we don't work on stuff that doesn't break. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that, yay, it works on my laptop and I can push it into production exactly like that. That's a, that's a super cool feature. But as long as it works, like, like you don't need somebody to come fix it. Right. Um, tell me about your thoughts on cattle versus pets. My thoughts. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, well, for one thing, cattle are very smart animals, and we should treat them like pets too. We shouldn't just shoot a sick cow. I've never met a. Have you ever met a, a rancher who would shoot a cow who was sick? So it's a bad analogy. <laughs> um, well, he'd certainly isolate the cow real fast. But that, but that's like, not. Yeah, but that's right. different, right? That's the same. Right. You know, if you have six cats and one sick, you're gonna put. It has worms. You're gonna put that one in a different room too. So right. that's actually treating it like a like a pet. But that aside, right. that aside, um, right. what, what I like about the, the so-called cattle analogy is I, I like the idea of stateless services mm -hmm. uh, because it, it, it forces a, a sense of simplicity to your application. And I say a sense because it's actually harder to think about, but when you accomplish it, it's, it's a certain sense of simplicity. So, so when we say stateless services, we mean that the state of the service shouldn't change the outside world. Essentially, yes. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, like at any time, anything. The application. I mean, right. I saw, I saw a tweet recently that the only state of the service only returns true or, or something like that. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so not in that sense, obviously. But uh, yeah, it doesn't depend on global state. It doesn't depend on a database and things like that. Right. So uh, um, when I think of stateless, I think of UDP NFS. Um, and that's usually not what people are talking about when they say stateless. And I'm, you know, there are no HTTP request. There you go. There you Which go. is all encapsulated. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there can be state on either end, but right. the, the HTTP protocol has no concept of that. It, it, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. If you cut, yeah, you can you can reboot a box and come back and ask for your session and and cause undefined behavior because yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
So uh, I don't know, do, do you have any resources for, for listeners who are interested in exploring this topic further, um, whether it be books, uh, speakers, authors, uh, sure. people who want to improve their infrastructure? Maybe they're concerned about their router in the corner without a password. Uh, insecure.org, the NMAP book, like, 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 like let, let's have everybody know what, what the, uh, what the body of an audit looks like. You don't have to be good at it, but, but I, I feel like the biggest uh, battle in cybersecurity is people implementing things have never thought about an attacker's point of view or an auditor's point of view. You can learn how to do an NMAP scan in an afternoon. Um, and, uh, um, and to take a look at your, uh, at your own infrastructure from that point of view, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a uh, um, a way of looking at things that somebody else has to do. So you you should probably be familiar with it when they come and ask you questions about it. Um, to speak more to the kind of sysadmin developer uh, rift, I think everybody should probably learn OC. Um, the the book on OC from uh, from the AWNK authors is probably a hundred pages um, still available on Amazon and uh, uh, I think there's some great benefits in learning or in in that you know sort of line by line thinking uh, incredibly small I, I, I challenge you to write an aux script that can take up six megabytes of memory uh, insecure.org and the the book on nmap um, you know spend a couple afternoons Noons learning your way around Nmap. Uh, That's great. Well, well, we'll have all those resources in the show notes for anybody who's interested in following up. Thanks. And uh, well, I, I have two more questions actually. Um, the first is: Is it time to to go from DevOps to DevSecOps to DevSecOps infra, infra? Infra <laughs> or, right, or something right. else? <laughs> um, if, if there aren't conversations in your organization like that. Then, like, like I hope, I hope you're outsourcing to a great cloud provider or something. Like, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I think, uh, um, you know, hardware's dirty and hard and slow. Oh my God, you can, you know, you can spin up a Docker cluster in in an hour from what's Docker to I'm doing something. You know, it, you can spend five hours getting, you know, the six machines you decide to put in your lab to post. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, there, there needs to at least be, you know, kind of a round table meeting of those groups. Um, but yes, I think honestly, the most, uh, the most successful, uh, DevOps implementations are really the infra dev sec ops. Like, like, like we didn't, we didn't leave out any important pieces. Um, Great. so yeah, I, 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 I think that's a great term. And, and when people start using it, I'll credit you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well my, well, my last question, unless you have anything else you want to add, um, how, how can people get, get uh, in touch with you if they're interested in, in following your, uh, your tweets or social media or anything? How, how can they get a hold of you? Um, let's see. Uh, how about at Mirage Computing um, on Twitter? And... I expect to have a YouTube space. 
um, and maybe a Twitch stream in the next six months. I'm still kicking around. Um, when I do, I, I hope to come back and talk about it. Great. That so, sounds exciting. Yeah. So we'll, we'll watch your Twitter feed for announcements yep. for a YouTube channel and a Twitch stream. Absolutely. Meanwhile, we'll just uh, click that heart button on all your tweets. Thanks. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Patrick, for joining me today. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I hope that it's been beneficial to those of you listening. Thanks. Thank you. This episode is copyright 2021 by Jonathan Hall. All rights reserved. Find me online at jhall.io. Theme music is performed by Riley Day.